Good morning. If you still have your Bibles handy, would you all turn with me, please, to Exodus 21, verses 1 to 27, which will serve as our main text for this morning. It's been a long time in coming, but we once again are resuming our studies this morning on the book of Exodus, so we'll read the text before we start the sermon. Again, Exodus 21, verses 1 to 27. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. If she please not her master, who hath betrothed her to himself, then shall he let her be redeemed. To sell her unto a strange nation he shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. And if he hath betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three things unto her, then shall she go out free without money. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him, into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. But if a man shall uh, come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And if men strive together, and one smite another with a stone or with his fist, and he die not, but keepeth his bed, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time 
and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall surely be punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And if a man smite the eye of his servant, or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out his manservant's tooth, or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. And may God the Holy Spirit grant us wisdom to understand the text before us this morning. If you recall from our last sermon on the book of Exodus, we had looked at chapter 20, which by and large was a pivotal chapter. In it, God had given Moses his moral law, better known as the Ten Commandments. No other nation had ever before Israel been given such an incredible revelation from the one true living God. This set of commandments was the code for moral living, not only for Israel, but for the whole world also. All future societies would one day adapt part or whole of this law as the basis of their legal system. And those who would adhere to these laws would see their nations prosper. But in chapter 21, we now are given further details or explanations of how to incorporate or to apply these Ten Commandments. In other words, we might look at the Ten Commandments as subtitles and the next few chapters as the application or explanation of those subtitles or commandments. Thus, the 21st chapter begins with, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before thee. Please remember that in the early stages of their exodus, Moses was the one that the people of Israel came to with all of their disputes, so much so that he was worn out by settling the issues. It wasn't until Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, provided him with wise counsel on how to spread around the workload so that Moses was then freed up to deal with the heady issues only. But first, Moses had to teach the people 
God's expectations of them and his commandments. And so what follows here are those expectations and explanations. They are, so to speak, the social laws that are to be in place. In other words, how man is to treat man or not to treat his fellow man. In particular, firstly, he deals with his treatment of slaves. We must also remember that the children of Israel were slaves of Egypt only a short time ago and had just been delivered out of bondage by God. Their suffering while under bondage was still very fresh in their minds. But now many of them would sooner or later find themselves as slave owners also. And as such, they were to obey certain codes of conduct. Their God who delivered them was the God of all the living. He was a God of mercy as well as a God of justice. And so his people, Israel, were to now reflect the justice and righteousness of their God. He, as the creator of all mankind, loved his creation, and he would not tolerate his chosen people maligning his character. Thus he instructs Israel that if they buy a slave, then they were allowed to keep him or her for six years. But on the seventh year, they were to set them free. And if this slave came into their servitude by himself, then at the end of the six-year period, he would be released by himself. And if he were already married when he was brought into slavery, then at the end of the six years, both he and his wife were to be set free. However, if the Hebrew slave were given a wife by his master while in servitude, and they had sons and daughters, then at the end of the six-year period, the Hebrew slave alone would be set free, while the wife and the children remained and belonged to the master. However, if the Hebrew slave, that is the husband, chose to remain in the master's service because he loved his master and he loved his wife and children more than his freedom, then he could choose to remain. But then his master would have to bring him before the judges to make it legal, we're told in verse 6, and then bring him onto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Further, in verses 7 to 11, we see another aspect of slavery, this time dealing with the selling of daughters into slavery. Now, why would parents ever sell a daughter into slavery? To us, this concept is repulsive. But gruesome as it is, there are cases where the parents, whether for reasons of poverty or physically incapable of looking after their children, did sell them. 
And so God placed rules on the process for the protection of that child that was indeed sold to be a maid servant. However, when the time came to release her, she would not be released in the same manner as the man servant. If, the pro if in the process she were betrothed to her master in marriage, but during the engagement period she did not please him, then the master was to allow her to be redeemed, but only by her own nation. She was never to be sold to a strange nation. If, however, the master had betrothed her to his son, then the master was to treat her the way he would treat his own daughter. But should the master, who was betrothed to her, later take on another wife, then she, that is the daughter who was sold to him in the first place, was to be cared for equally as the other new wife. In other words, she was to be properly provided for in food, clothing, and marital obligations. And if any one of these were withheld from her, then she was to be uh, released immediately without money. Now we come to another position or portion of judgments, and that is in verses 12 to 27. Unfortunately, this chapter intersperses slavery with other portions and then comes back to slavery, so it's a little difficult to understand. But this particular portion, 12 to 27, uh, deals with personal injuries and crimes against humanity, such as assault and battery and murder. These series of laws and punishments are an extension of the sixth commandment in Exodus 20, verse 13, Thou shalt not kill. The first verses deal with murder and serious personal injuries. Verse 12, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. So capital punishment is decreed here for murder. God, who by his providence gives us life, also maintains life and protects it as shown by his judgments. God values each life, whether that life is valued by society or not. With God, there is no prejudice or discrimination. Each and every soul has been made in the image and likeness of God Almighty and therefore is precious in his sight. Status in life, skin color, or nationality have no bearing whatsoever in the worth of that soul. Nevertheless, we are reminded in Ezekiel 18:20 that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Though God is a God of love, mercy, and grace, he is at the same time a righteous God, a holy God, a just God who does not tolerate sin. 
But there is a difference between murder and accidental death. In verse 13, we see the provision made for the one who accidentally kills his fellow man. God provides him a place to flee, to hide out, so to speak. This, of course, will later become known as a city of refuge in Numbers 35, verse 6. But in the case of premeditated murder or planned murder, he, the murderer, was to be killed. That is what is known as capital punishment or the death sentence. Later on in the Old Testament, God explains by whom and how the murderer must be killed. Next, we come to verse 15 and 17, which deal with the abuse of parents by rebellious children. God also makes it a capital offense to either strike the parent, causing them physical harm, or to curse the parents. And those children who do must be put to death. Please notice carefully when the word shall is used with a third person, that means he, she, or they, then it carries a very strong connotation to it. In other words, it does not suggest might be put to death, but rather must be put to death. Such cruel behavior towards parents by rebellious children is of great provocation to God. And if men will not punish it, God will. It is no wonder that the fifth commandment about honoring thy father and thy mother carries a blessing to it, so that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And oh, how many wayward children who have failed to honor their mothers and fathers have lost their lives early, whether through gang wars or drug and alcohol abuse or crimes of break-in and enter, robberies, etc. And governments who have abdicated their responsibility of applying capital punishment have only assured the proliferation of such heinous crimes. Then inserted between verses 15 and 17 is verse 16, dealing with the crime of kidnapping, which the Lord equates with murder, and therefore assigns the same punishment to it. Whether the kidnapper slays the one he has kidnapped or not, he must nonetheless be put to death. Today, one of the most difficult crimes to convict and punish is kidnapping and sex trafficking. It has become such a lucrative business that many have chosen this to be their crime of choice, especially because there is no capital punishment. But the resurgence and proliferation of the most evil crimes is always the natural consequence of man's rejection of God and his laws. Next, we come to verse 18 and 19, 
which deal with the assault and battery and what punishments God has assessed in cases of serious injury. If seriously injured, if the party seriously injured eventually recovers, then the assailants have been spared the death sentence, but instead must financially remunerate the injured person for loss of time from work and shall pay for his complete recovery. Can you imagine how many fewer incidents of assaults, muggings, and robberies we would have today if only we would have kept God's judgments concerning these crimes? Now we come back to master-slave treatment again in verses 20 to 21. If a master kills his slave because of excess correction, then the slave owner must himself be punished. And the punishment would be decided before the judges, as was the legal custom, once the circumstances were reviewed and examined. And finally, we come to our last portion of scripture in this morning's sermon, verses 22 to 27. And the first part or portion of this passage, verses 22 to 23, deal with men brawling when there is a pregnant woman in their present vicinity. And in the process, injure her. If because of that injury, she gives birth prematurely, but no lasting harm follows, then her husband is to decide the punishment or fine, and the judges will make the man pay. However, if there is a lasting hurt or injury, then the punishment is life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. Whatever the woman suffered permanent damage to, then the violator would get the same as decreed by the judges. And then the last two verses, 26 to 27, deals with a slave owner who causes physical harm to his slave. Since both verses begin with, and if a man smite, we can assume that this takes place during the process of severe disciplining of one's servant, and the servant loses an eye or a tooth, then the servant is to be set free. Again, in each of these circumstances, God's judgments are given for the protection and welfare of the victims or injured parties. In summary, then, we can conclude that as long as there are just laws, noting that just laws may not always be agreeable laws, but if these laws are implemented faithfully, then society will function in an orderly fashion most of the time. However, the opposite is also true. Without just laws, society cannot 
function orderly. Unbridled corruption eventually destroys even the best of nations. Lord willing, next time we will try to conclude chapter 21 of Exodus and then deal with the 22nd chapter, which discusses judgments pertaining to property rights, etc. But as always, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you this solemn question. Do you know the God of the Bible? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? But perchance, if you're not certain, why not trust him now? Repent of your sins and trust him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches in Acts 16:31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for thy holy word, which we know as the Bible. We thank thee that thou hast promised and kept thy promise to preserve every last word of it so that we can trust each word, knowing that everything that thou hast said will come to pass one day. Part us now with thy blessing, we pray, and if the Lord be not come, May it please thee once again to bring us together around his table next Lord's Day. For we do always ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.